my mother <laughs> told me that she loved me every single day. And uh, I, I have learning disabilities and dyslexic and all that. And she used to sit and make me read the newspaper to her every day. Helped me through some really difficult times in my life. Uh, but there were times, believe it or not, that I did not show my mother the respect she deserved. Can you imagine that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, and she taught me to respect her one particular day. I don't want to take too long because I got sermon goes. But um, I was out in the front yard at my house, and my mom came out, and she, she said something to me. And my friends were there, and I thought, I said, she told me to get in the house. And so I said, I said, no. No. Like, what are you going to do about it? You know, and so she started coming at me, and I turned and ran, and I thought, I am like 11 years old, okay? I can outrun this lady. So I'm running across the yard into Mr. Clearworth's yard, or his next neighbor, and all of a sudden, you know, I was feeling pretty good, and then a sudden I, I, heard, I heard footsteps behind me. And then I felt this hot breath on my neck, and then I felt this warm hand to my shoulder driving me to the ground. It was my mother. My grandfather always told me she was a great athlete. Well, I found out that day. She was very fast, and she drove me to the ground, and she told me, and she says, you're going in the house, and she took me up, and by my ear, and she walked me back to the house, and she says, go upstairs and wait till your father gets home. I'm going to stop right there because it gets pretty ugly. <laughs> but I learned to respect my mother because she deserved respect, and when she didn't get it, she let me know. She let me know. Well, today marks the halfway point in our study on the gospel of Luke. It's chapter 12. There's 24 chapters in Luke. Do the math, right? We're halfway through. Last week we didn't quite finish chapter 11 because of the sheer volume of the material. There were 54 verses, but also because of the subject matter, which was prayer, which is huge, right? It's an essential element of the Christian life. That's what I told you about it. Prayer is conversation with who? God. Prayer is communication with God. It's huge. Communication is vital to the health and growth of any relationship. But the fact that we're talking about relationship with God raises the importance considerably. Wouldn't you agree? It's very important. Prayer is essential. And just briefly, in review of what we said last week, we covered the, the condensed version of the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11, and the elements of that prayer were the same as in Matthew's versions, but condensed. Um, and that follows, what follows the Lord's Prayer in Luke, though, is somewhat unique when compared to Matthew. In verses 5 through 13 of chapter 11, it's this great practical lesson on prayer. Three things that we all need to know, and just briefly here they are. Be persistent in prayer. Be confident in prayer. And be hopeful in prayer. How many of you all remember that? Okay. All those things. Be hopeful in prayer. The way Jesus teaches it was also very understandable and very relatable. Be persistent in your prayers. Okay? Don't give up on God if he doesn't answer your prayers immediately like you think he should. But keep asking. Don't give up, Jesus said. Be persistent in your prayers. Number two, be confident in your prayers. Ask with confidence, knowing God hears and answers our prayers prayers he may not answer it exactly how you think he should okay but he will answer it according to his divine will and counsel so expect it expect him to answer don't pray without expecting him to answer he will answer be confident in your prayers and lastly Jesus teaches us to be hopeful hopeful in our prayers when you pray be hopeful don't expect lame answers from God 
or bad things from God. Expect good things from God. Be hopeful in your prayers. Jesus uses a, a very relatable example in that illustration of chapter 11 of how parents give good things to their children when they ask for something. Jesus closes that lesson with this very poignant verse. It's verse 13. He says, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, right? How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? Well, like I said, I did not finish chapter 11. It wasn't last week, but the week before last. So here we go, okay? We're going to finish up, but mainly what I'm going to do, I'm not going to read the whole thing because of time concerns, but I'm going to sum it up for you. The last 11 verses are warnings to the Pharisees and to the lawyers. The subtitle in my Bible, and probably yours also, says, Woe to the Pharisees. Woe to the lawyers, right? Jesus is addressing their hypocrisy and the disconnect. The disconnect between their outward behavior, the things that they do, and their inward motives and heart. They appear righteous and pious on the outside when on the inside they are anything but. Anything but that. Jesus said to, in that chapter, he says, he says they are full of robbery and wickedness. That's what he said about the religious leaders. Full of robbery and wickedness. And that sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? Sounds kind of harsh, but it was very true at the time. It was very true, and he was speaking the truth in love. So let's move on to chapter 12 of Luke for today, and I'm going to read chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, if you want to follow along with me. It starts off with, under these circumstances. Now, you need to understand why he says, under these circumstances, because just before that, he was going toe-to-toe, like I said, with the, with the Pharisees and with the lawyers, in the last verse of chapter 11 says, plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. So that helps you understand. So under these circumstances, not good circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, he began saying to his disciples, first of all, he says, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known according to whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light and what you have whispered in the inner room will be proclaimed upon the housetops i say to you my friends do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that they can do no more but i but i warn you whom you should fear Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you 
are to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for these words. These words are your words. These are words of Scripture. They remind us of who you are and what you require of us. Lord, may the words of these mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. May these words of Scripture, as they fall upon our ears, they would soak deeply into our soul and our spirits and our minds that we might understand the depth of these teachings. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church today. And all God's people said. Well, verses 11 and 12 remind me of Dr. Wade Ewing. You don't know him. But those two verses remind me of my preaching professor from Columbia Theological Seminary, my second year of seminary, Dr. Wade Yui. He was affectionately known as Wade the Blade. Wade the Blade to his students and to me because he was real good at cutting our student sermons to pieces. But with a red pencil, not with a sword. But it was good because he would tell us, you could have done this differently. This should have been better. He was trying to, to hone us and to make us better. But he was known as Wade the Blade. Well, these passages that I just read for you from Luke chapter 12 came up for discussion in one of our classes when he was talking about the amount of time you should put into a weekly message in your preparation for your sermon. He said this. He said to the class, the rule of thumb is 20 hours or so. 20 hours for a message. And at the time I thought, that's a lot. But now I don't think that's so much. I actually probably put in more than that. On Saturdays, sometimes I, I pull out whole pages and, and rewrite them. So one of his students, me, <laughs> said, Dr. Yui, and bear in mind, this was tongue-in-cheek, and I was, I was kind of joking, halfway joking, and he knew that. I don't want you to think I was being disrespectful. I said, Dr. Yui, I said, in Luke chapter 12, verse 11 and 12, it says, don't worry about what you are to speak in your defense or what you shall say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And I directed the question. And Dr. Yui, weighed the blade, looked at me and he, he said, Mr. Blake, I said, thank you for raising that question. And here is my answer. He said, if the Holy Spirit can teach you like that in that hour, in one hour, just imagine what the Holy Spirit can teach and inspire in you in 20 hours of preparation. And I had nothing to say except, good point. Point taken. And the whole class laughed at me. He schooled me. He schooled me. I thought the joke was going to be on him. Oh, no. It was on me. Wade the blade. Well, in chapter 12, Luke begins by commenting on the crowds that were coming to Jesus. He said thousands of people, so many that they were stepping on one another. And Jesus said to his disciples, beware, he said this, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is pretending to be something you're not. The Greek word for hypocrisy is hypocrites, which is the same word for actor. And what do actors do? Well, they act. They pretend to be something that they're not. And that's the basis of the term hypocrisy. So that's hypocrisy. Leaven is yeast. How many of you all remember those delicious yeast rolls the lunch ladies used to make for us in elementary school? How many of you all remember those? Any of you all have those? In Florida we had them, okay? And I would trade like steak for one of those yeast rolls. 
They were so delicious. So leaven is yeast, or what makes the bread rise and get, gets puffed up. That's why Jesus uses it. One biblical commentator said this. I liked it so much, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it to you. It said, in Luke 12, 1, Jesus specifies that the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. Having a show of piety without true holiness is like leaven in that it gradually increases and spreads corruption. Puffing up a person with vanity, lies and hypocrisy can poison one's whole character. Jesus is warning the people about the leaven, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. All puffed, all puffed up in their piety, but they're not what they seem to be. They're not what they seem to be. And Jesus is calling them on it. And verses, verse 2 and 3 tells us that it's all going to come out in the end. It's all going to come out in the wash. Listen to verses 2 and 3. It says, but there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light and what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. And then Jesus adds to that. He said, don't be afraid of someone who can take your life. Don't worry about them. But fear the one who has authority to cast you into hell one who can separate you eternally from the presence of God he says that's the person you need to be concerned about and of course that is God that's who you need to be concerned about then in verse 6 and 7 Jesus reminds us of how precious we are in the eyes of God we are precious in the eyes of God he says not one sparrow is forgotten by God he says you can you can buy five sparrows for two cents it reminds me of when I go to Winn-Dixie and they got Five years of corn for $2. When I read that, that's what it reminded me of. That's pretty cheap, isn't it? And you think, well, sparrows are cheap, and that's the point that Jesus is making. You can buy five sparrows with two cents. They're not worth a lot. Yet God cares for them. God cares for them. And if God cares about those little sparrows, just think. Just think how valuable you are to God. He knows everything about you. The number of hairs on your head. And that's the illustration that he uses. But if Jesus were teaching this today, they wouldn't have understood it back then. He would have, but they wouldn't. He knows the number of cells in your body. The number of cells. You know I have three brain cells left? Did you know that? So i got to take care of them. got to take care of them. But Jesus, he knows everything about us. In verses 8 and 9, Jesus gives a promise and a warning. Verse 8 is the promise. It's this. If we confess him before people, the Son of Man will confess us before the angels of God. Here they are, right? Verse 9 is the warning. But if someone denies him before people, before men, he will deny them before the angels of God. And then verse 10 is about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to talk about that because I did. We talked about that in chapter 11. So next, what comes next is Jesus denounces greed and putting your hope and confidence in possessions. That's a huge theme in chapter 12. Jesus warns them and us to be on guard against all forms of greed. That's the issue, greed. Because one's life, he says, one's life does not consist of possessions. Did you know that? Possessions is not what life is all about. 
It's most, it should be about relationships, our relationship with God and our relationships with others. They say that when you die, Dobson said this, what matters most is who's loved you, who you have loved, and your relationship with God. That's what matters, not how many cars you have. That's what matters. Then Jesus teaches a parable on that very thing. It's called the parable of the rich fool. Jesus often used agriculture in his parables because it was something that everybody understood at the time. It was very familiar and they could relate to it and they could see the parallels that he was making with agriculture. And Jesus does that here. It's about a rich man whose land was very productive and it had yielded a lot of crops and grain. And he got prideful about it. He got puffed up about it. His gains, all the grain, and his net worth. How much he was worth. He had so much that he didn't know what to do with it. He didn't even have a place big enough to store all of it. And so his plan was to tear down what he had, build bigger barns, and store it. Now, let me make this clear. There's nothing wrong with having wealth. Okay? There's nothing wrong with being blessed with a lot of resources and money. You may have heard someone say, oh, but money is the root of all evil. Well, that's a misquote. That's a misquote. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 is the verse they're talking about, but what it says is the love of money. See the difference? The love of money is the root of all evil. So money is not the problem, it's the love of money. And what is that? Greed. And that's what Jesus is addressing. He's addressing greed. We, don't, we need to be on, on alert for all forms of greed. Um, and part of the point of this parable is that if you have more than enough, if there's more than you even know what to do with, don't just hoard it. Don't just all keep it. You know, you have, that means you have something to what? Share. Exactly. To share with the needy. To share with the poor. To share with others, maybe in your family, who are in need. If, if you've been blessed, share it. Share it. There was a bumper sticker uh, a long way back. It was very popular at the time. But it was really funny. First time I saw it, I remember laughing out loud in my truck. It said, the one who dies with the most toys wins. Have you ever seen that? You ever seen that bumper sticker? Who's seen that bumper sticker? Yeah. The one who dies with the most toys wins. But I like the bumper sticker that came out about a year later. And it said this. It said, the one who dies with the most toys still dies. Yeah. It, it was a response, you see, to that first bumper sticker. Somebody came up with it. It's pretty clever. And it's very true. The one who dies with the most toys still dies. And that's a central point that Jesus makes in this parable. It's like he's talking about that bumper sticker, right? Not even when someone has an abundance of things and stuff does his or her life consist of possessions. That's not what life is all about. Success in life cannot be measured by our possessions. That's not what measures true success in God's eyes, right? Listen for that as I read Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Let me find it first. Okay, here we are. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, sounds like it's 60s, doesn't it? Man. He says, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? Then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form, here it is, every form of greed. 
For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store all my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool which is where the title comes from, the rich fool. You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Wow. Wow. He says, and now? Now, who? Who will own what you have prepared, well, the answer is somebody else, right? It's not going to be yours anymore. And it's that way for all of us, right? That's why you never see a U-Haul trailer being pulled behind a hearse, right? You ever seen one? There's a reason for that. You can't take it with you. True success is being rich toward God. And a real simple way to define that is loving God with all our heart, loving our neighbor, and being a neighbor. Being a neighbor to other people, caring about other people. Jesus said, so is the person who stores up treasure for oneself and is not rich toward God. Powerful parable, isn't it? Penetrating, powerful parable. And right after that parable, Jesus says this in verse 22 and 23. He says, for this reason, and that phrase right there means because of the parable I just taught you. Because of what you just heard? He says, for this reason, I say to you, don't worry about your life as to what you will eat or your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Makes sense. Then Jesus launches into the logical next point for these spiritual lessons. And that is this. God will provide. That's where he's going. God will provide what you need. God will provide food and clothes and shelter. You know, if you get out and you do, right? If we go out and we do our job, God's going to provide for us through all of that thing. It doesn't mean just sit there and wait for him to drop it on you, right? But he will provide. He'll make sure that we have that. Jesus tells us that your father knows what you need, that you need all these things, and he will provide them just as he does for the birds of the air and the lilies and the grass of the fields. So don't Waste your time being consumed with running around and accumulating riches that are probably just going to belong to somebody else. That's my paraphrase. But he says, don't worry about what you will eat, drink, or wear. But instead, this is the instead, seek God's kingdom. And all these things will be added to you. And you, he says, you will have treasure in heaven that no thief can steal and clothes that no moth can destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is telling us we want our heart and our treasure to be in the same place, which is where? In God. Hope in God. Trust in God. 
That's where our hearts should be. And, that, and our heart, he says, your heart's going to be where your treasure is. So that's where our treasure needs to be. Trusting in the Lord. Trusting in the Lord. Listen for that in verses 24 through 34. Let me read that for you. Chapter 12, verse 24 through 34. Consider the ravens. By the way, my son sent me something, just an aside. Do you know the difference between ravens and crows? Josh sent that to me. They're different. The crow goes, ha, ha, right? Did you know ravens don't do that? They look the same, but you know what ravens do? They grunt, they grunt. And crows walk like this. Ravens take little two steps. I didn't know that. Just, just thought you'd want to know. I didn't plan on saying that, but there's my ADD, right? Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot even, if you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Solomon was the richest man. You know, he had some threads. Okay, Solomon had some threads. He had some clothes, right? But he says, doesn't even compare to the lilies of the field that God has provided for them. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. That's key. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need. See, God knows we need him. Your Father knows that you need these things. But seek his kingdom. And these things will be added to you. See, there's the difference. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourself money belts that will not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. Nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The next 14 verses have two dominant themes. Okay? Readiness and faithfulness. Say that with me. Readiness and faithfulness. Say that again. There you go. I want you to get it. It's the coach in me. All right? Readiness and faithfulness. Verse 35, Jesus says, be dressed in readiness. Jesus says that. Keep your lamps lit. In verse 40, he says, Be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. These teachings of Jesus are also seen in the 24th chapter of Matthew. They're echoed in Matthew. They're not identical, but thematically very similar. But really, some of the phrases are almost word for word with Matthew. For instance, this one. Matthew 24, 42, it says, Therefore, be on alert. For you do not know which day your Lord is coming. You do not know which day your Lord is coming. The point is, Jesus will return. That's his main point here. The second coming of Christ will happen. Okay? It's going to happen. The Son of Man will come again. And we don't know when. 
A lot of people have tried to predict it. There are denominations that are founded upon trying to predict it. But he says, no one knows the day. We don't know when he's coming. So we need to be what? What? Yeah, yeah. We need to be ready. Because we don't know when he's coming. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. And part of being ready is being faithful. But that's the second part of what we hear. So listen for readiness as I read verses 35 through 40. Verses 35 through 40. Jesus says, Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves who the master will find on alert when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will gird himself to serve. You hear that? He will gird himself to serve and have them, the servants, recline at the table and will come and wait on them. Reminds me of what we just went over. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. We just talked about that last week in on, on our serving. Whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third and finds them, so blessed are those slaves, which is used inter interchangeably with servants. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at the hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too, he says, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. You see what I mean? It's just like the Matthew says, says this uses the word Lord. Is coming at an hour that you do not expect. The Son of Man is coming, and we don't know when. Jesus doesn't tell us that, okay, because we won't be ready. Jesus tells us that here, so we will be ready. We will not be surprised, because now we know. If you didn't know before today, now you what? You know, okay? We won't be surprised. We won't be caught off guard, because we are watching and waiting in readiness. Readiness. As I said, a part of being ready is being faithful. And that's what the next eight verses highlight for us. In verse 41, Peter says, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? It's a rhetorical question that Luke puts in there, and the answer obviously is yes. Absolutely, it's for everybody else. It's to be ready for the second coming. It's not just for you, Peter. It's for everyone. That verse and Peter's question transitions from readiness, transitions us from readiness to faithfulness, which is the second dominant theme in this parable and in this section. And he starts with a parable contrasting faithful servants with servants that are unfaithful servants, but even worse. Unfaithful servants, but even servants that are malicious and doing wrong things under cover of darkness. In verse 42, Jesus says this. He says, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward, which is another word for slave or servant, the steward, whom, um, whom his master will put in charge of all of his servants, uh, to give them their rations at the proper time. So we're supposed to be taking care of each other as servants. 43, blessed is the slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. And so you need to know here that it's not just that, that we're to be faithful, but he's also saying here that we will be rewarded 
for being faithful. We'll be rewarded for being faithful. The message there is this. While we as Christians are ready and waiting for the second coming of Christ, we are to be faithful. That's the main message. While we as Christians are ready and waiting for the second coming of Christ, we are to be faithful. And being faithful means this. Doing what Jesus said to do. It's very simple. But it's quite a list. I don't have time to go through all of it, right? The whole New Testament. But, but just, just to start, it's to love God, to love each other, to love our neighbor, neighbor to love people who, who don't know God, to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, to show the love and compassion of Christ to a lost and lonely world that has no hope, the poor, the sick, the orphans, the widows, and the needy. That's just a little piece of the pie. But that's what it means for Christians to be faithful until his return. Until his return. It's readiness and faithfulness. Readiness and faithfulness. Listen as I read the, these verses. I'm going to close with this. Verses 45 through 48. It says, but... Here's the contrast I was talking about. But if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming. Sounds like the Doobie Brothers, but it's not. Will be a long time. In other words, it's going to be a long time till he gets here. And he begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. In other words, to not be faithful and do stuff that he shouldn't be doing. The master of that slave will come on that day when he does not expect him. And at that hour, he does not know, and he will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. And I think he's talking there more like Wade and the Blade, right? Not literally. But he's going to assign him a place with the unbelievers. In other words, well, you're an unfaithful believer. You're an unbelievable servant. So you're going to be assigned with the unbelievers. And that slave who knew his master's will and did, and did not get ready or act in accordance with his will will receive many lashes. And this is interesting. It says, but the one who did not know, in other words, someone that, I guess they missed it somewhere in his teaching, right? That did not know and committed deeds worthy of flogging will receive but few. Why? Well, because they didn't know. They didn't know. They honestly didn't know. For everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. So the bottom line here is this. We need to be faithful. We need to be faithful and act in accordance with his desires for us. The, just the things that he's asked us to do. Love one another even as I have loved you. Right? Be a good neighbor to other people. Verse 43 says, Blessed is the servant whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Right? When I come home and I've told my kids to rake the yard and I come home and they're out there, I'm like, yeah. Right? It's the same thing. But the flip side, the flip side, he also states... Don't be unfaithful. If you're a servant of Christ, don't be unfaithful, but certainly do not be malicious. Right? And finally, okay, we will be accountable for what we know and what we have. We will be accountable for what we know and what we have been given by God, what we've been blessed with. And that's not just talking about money. You know, we have some people here that are very gifted in, in teaching Scripture. We have people here who have gifts of compassion and mercy. We talked about serving and spiritual gifts. It's not just about money. 
It's about being faithful with what you've been given. Like me, I can pick a guitar, okay? I've tried to, it's not a great skill, but I've tried to use it, right? It's the same kind of thing, anything that you can do. It's using what you have been given, using what you've been given for his glory. He says, for everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. Jesus' expectation, in closing, from this chapter 12, Jesus' expectation for us is that we will be ready, say that, and faithful. Right. We will be ready when he comes, and we will be faithful until he comes. Amen? Let's pray together, and then we're going to close in a song. Lord, we thank you that you are a master teacher, and it's actually quite hard to escape your lessons and your teaching like I couldn't escape Dr. Huey's lesson. Um, you, give, you, you give us guidance. You give us light. You are the light of the world. We thank you for these messages that we've learned today because we know you're teaching us to be ready and to be faithful and to beware of all forms of greediness, but to share and to give and to care for others, to be like you, to be like you, to be like the Good Samaritan. And God, we thank you for that. I pray that you would let these words and these lessons soak deep, 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 deep down into our souls, that we are worth so much more than the ravens and the sparrows. You care so deeply for us. You know everything about us, and you still love us with a love that is immeasurable and without boundary. You love us, and we thank you for that. For it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.